And good evening, America. Good afternoon, Australia. Welcome back to Radio Tony and Everyday Business. I'm your host, Tony Lontes. Now we have KO listening live online, ready to take your comments, questions and information. He'll be able to send you links to where you can find information about our beautiful guest today and where you can buy her book. For all information on Radio Tony, just jump onto radiotony.com and you'll be able to connect with me and find out about all our shows. Now, today we have a beautiful guest by the name of Denise Bosart, and I hope that I've pronounced that correctly. Denise is a novelist, poet, an award-winning photographer and artist. She's a certified mediation facilitator and contemplative arts teacher. She's an information technology professional working with a large urban school district. Denise holds a BA in chemistry, an MS in computer science, and a PhD in developmental neuroscience. She is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Denise spent her adult healing, adulthood rather, healing herself from the traumatic impact of sexual abuse had had on her life. She's not a mental health professional. She is a thriver who has travelled a healing journey and is able to share a personal guided experience with her readers to find and engage in their own journey of healing and becoming thrivers. Thriving after sexual abuse is an eloquent and empathetic self-developmental book laying out a blueprint for survivors to heal themselves. Denise writes with a fierce candor as she shares her own traumatic experience with childhood sexual abuse. Thriving provides tips and suggestions for readers to seek help, self-reflect and pursue healing through a range of activities and practices and offers tangible strategies for readers to reclaim their lives and move forward to a life of thriving. Her daytime job in IT helps keep household running. She enjoys writing, teaching, contemplative photography workshops and going on photo shoots to discover the extraordinary in our ordinary lives. She teaches and photographs near her home in Texas in America. Now listeners, today we'll be touching on some sensitive subjects so before we get started I want to encourage you there is much help out there. If this triggers anything for you, please seek that help. There are people who will help you and you just you can be anonymous and just talk to someone. Okay? So good evening, Denise, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Tony, so much for having me. I this, as you know, is one of my passionate subjects in um, my life. And I talk about these subjects openly and honestly because I think it's the conversation that we need to have. We need to make it okay for victims to speak about what they've gone through and to help them recognise when they've suffered sexual abuse in childhood. We know from statistics that so many do not tell their story ever They go to their deathbed, never having spoken about the unspeakable things that helped. That that hurt them. And we know that talking helps. Talking to someone, writing, journaling, it helps. So, Denise, I'd like to start today by just talking about what happened to you, your background and your history. 
Sure. So I was sexually abused by my grandfather, my mother's father. And it started when I was very young, when I was in elementary school. And it lasted until he died when I was a freshman in high school. And I wasn't really aware of what was going on consciously. You know, I have a a child's mind. It's not Mm -hmm. developed yet to be able to understand these kind of things. And I think it also tried to protect me as trauma survivors often experience. I was kept in the dark, so to speak, about what was going on. I knew I was terrified of my grandfather, did not want to be alone with him. There was something wrong with him. So even at a family dinner for the holidays, I didn't even want to sit next to him. That's how scared I was of him. And I don't Mm -hmm. remember him actually saying things to threaten me, but he was intimidating. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Great War. He was really intelligent, cunning, manipulative. And I just intuitively knew that you don't cross this man, right? So that went on, like I said, until I was a freshman in high school. And when he died, all of a sudden, I guess my brain decided it was safe for me to start remembering. And so it exploded. I had flashbacks. I had body memories. I was just really struggling to understand what was happening. I, I thought, well, am I going crazy? Did this really happen? And I was so filled with shame. You know, emotionally, I knew it made sense. It made sense for how I was feeling, how I felt about my body. But I was just too ashamed to tell anybody about it. And therefore, I didn't get help. And instead, what I did was I just immersed myself in school. I'd always been a good, smart kid, diligent, and got a lot of positive feedback when I worked hard and got good grades. So that's what I did. I threw myself into school. I was in the band as a drum major. I played basketball. I did all these things. So I didn't have to think about all that stuff that just kept trying to come up. And I just kept pushing it down and pushing it down. And it wasn't until I was in college and a a friend of mine who was a recovering alcoholic and went to Alcoholics Anonymous, he helped me get into counseling through the university. That counselor got me into a woman's group, which was unbelievable to meet people for the first time, women who had gone through either sexual assault or incest, and to have those people to sit down and talk to about their experiences. And different. they were from different backgrounds. They had different assault or incest experiences, but to, to talk to them and see how they were on their journey and that there was a possibility yeah. of healing. I also, at that same time, got involved with Uh, the group Survivors of Incest Anonymous. And that was powerful because it was men and women. The group I joined had men and women. And in particular, there was an older gentleman there about the age of my grandfather when I was being abused, but he was a survivor. He had been abused by his mother. Yes. And I never imagined that could be possible, you know, so all of that got me started. It was, you know, the talk therapy, the groups got me started, but I really felt I needed more than just that. I wasn't healing my body. I wasn't getting rid of the body memories. I still had a lot of things going on in my head. So I began to explore different ways that I could get engaged in practices that would help. And of course, I didn't have a blueprint. You know, there wasn't really anything that would get through, right? Um, So I just stumbled along trying to figure out what to do. And I found several things that we can talk about later in the show, but I started putting together these practices that were healing in their own way for me. And through that really started moving from a survivor mode into what I like to call a thriver situation. 
Denise, one of the things I wanted to point out for the audience today is when sexual abuse uh, occurs before we have an understanding of what sex is, your child mind may understand on a fundamental level that what's happening is wrong, but you don't generally understand until you reach an age of understanding. So I hear this all the time, why didn't she tell, why didn't you talk to someone about it? The problem is that that childlike mind doesn't understand at the level that it can articulate what's Mm -hmm. happening. And Mm -hmm. also, child's brain protects them from what is too painful to remember. And those things often don't surface until later in life, hence disclosure, much later in life. There are some brave little souls who do disclose earlier in life, but for many, many, many of us, it is later in life, late teenagers, late adult. 40s, 50s, 60s, I had a letter from a man who was 78 Mm. and upon reading my own story, wrote to me and said, I now have the courage to talk about what happened to me. 78 years old. So, Denise, the more we start to talk about this and make it okay to have those conversations, the more healing takes place. So um, I want to talk about... What happened around disclosure time for you? So for me, uh, it sort of came slowly um, over time. It wasn't like I I was part back when I was being abused and when I started my recovery, that was quite a while ago. That was way before the Me Too movement. So it wasn't as if I out out of myself on social media and shared it with everyone. It was individual conversations over time with various people, Mm -hmm. if it was a a boyfriend and I were starting to be intimate in any way, I wanted to share with them what he Because if they touch me in a certain way, it might bring up memories. And instead of that boy being there with me, that man being there with me, all of a sudden, there was my grandfather, which was terrifying. And so I I had to feel a certain level of comfort with them, obviously. But slowly over time, I, you know, I told a few of my family members, a few of my girlfriends, some boyfriends, yes. but it always had been just a handful of people that I felt safe sharing because I still was carrying a lot of shame and a lot of fear of being rejected. Definitely. You know, you don't know how people are going to react, right, when you tell your story. Yes. I was just going to say, did you have that conversation with your parents? I did, but it was much later after I had gone through a lot of the therapy that I talked about when yes. I felt comfortable uh, in myself and secure that regardless of how that conversation went, I was going to be okay. Yeah. And part of it was okay. the fear of impacting their relationship that I could somehow reveal something that would cause them to have their relationship fall apart. And in the aftermath, you know, silly me, mm-hmm. I thought I had that much control over their, <laughs> their situation, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of things, shame, fear of rejection, fear of impacting other people's lives. You know, I had taken on all of this responsibility because that's how young children process in order to get through. Yeah. You, you say it's my fault. That's what you, you learn to teach yourself. And they may even tell you that along the way too, that it's your fault. I, yes. Yes. Very much. So Denise, that leads me to the portion of your journey where you decided to write 
for many people that I speak to, that's either a very hard decision to make, a slow decision to make, and there's all sorts of different fallout from writing about this subject. What prompted you to write and what's the process been like for you? So it really started when I began a yoga practice and that really was an immensely important practice for me to start to be able to learn to be in my body. I was dissociative when the abuse was happening and I felt my body had betrayed me. So I learned to hate my body. I didn't want anything to do with my body. And so to get into a place where I could be present in my body, that I could learn to take care of my body and even like and love my body, that took some time. Yes. It was very critical for that. But when I started that, a lot of things just cracked open. And I'd always been an expressive kid. I wrote poetry and short stories, you know, for school. And so I found an outlet of writing poetry initially. Poetry that started with yes. abuse and the emotions and all of the things that was happening. And slowly I started writing poetry about how I was healing. And at the time, my husband's like, oh, this would be great for you to share this. This would really help people. And I'm like, who's going to want to read a bunch of poetry about abuse? <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, and who's going to want to publish that, right? So that yes. kind of put aside. And I also was challenged by the fact that being a person that has experienced trauma, my brain did not form memories the same way other people had. I can't access memory the same way. I have few memories of the abuse. Yes. But it's also the challenge of putting those abuse memories in the context of what else was happening in my life in the timeline. It's, it's disconnected. So I had some poems and not enough memories to make a memoir. So, okay, I put it aside. But then I learned about Dr. Larry Nassar and how he had abused so many gymnasts. And when I heard that, I cracked open, my heart cracked open, and something went off inside of my head that said, you may not be able to write a memoir, but you can write something that could help women like this. And that was the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the book is written in different parts. Can you tell us about those different parts, Denise? Sure. So it's basically four parts. So the first part of the book is my story explaining what happened to me. There's no graphic details, but there's a lot about the yeah. circumstances, the emotional impact, and what that did throughout my life and how I went into healing. And there's a little bit in there about what to expect from the book, how to use the book. So that's the first part. The second part is about all the different practices I had. We mentioned therapy and group therapy and yoga, but there are a number of different practices. And for each of those, they have their own chapter. And at the end of the chapter, I um, offer some questions because I want this to be an engaged discovery process with the reader. I ask them to get a journal and to sit down and work through the questions to try to guide them along a self-discovery path as they go through the book. Yes. So that second part is all about the different healing aspects. The third part is a little tougher for folks because it's asking some hard questions. I'm like, I had to yeah. ask myself a lot of hard questions, be introspective, be thoughtful, so that I knew what I wanted to do moving forward. And, and some mm -hmm. of this is about who you're, who you're going to tell, et cetera. But again, I'm, I'm offering my experience and my thoughts and asking people to journal for themselves to find out what it is. I'm never being prescriptive. I never say you must 
announce, you must tell, you must do this. I say, let's explore whether these things are what are important for you and could help you. And the fourth Mm. part is the poems. I had to bring those poems in. They were so instrumental in my healing process. And so I wanted to give that as an example of what someone could do. You mentioned journaling being really crucial potential healing. So I wanted to share those as an example of journaling, but you also get to see my story through poetry. So it gives you another view. So four parts. Yeah. Fantastic. Denise, I wanted to point out um, one thing for the listeners today, and that is that healing is very individual and certain types of healing will work better for certain types of people. And it's about finding what works and what helps you as an individual. The way that you process trauma is very individual and it's about your book is about discovering what's likely to work best for you and helping you on that process because there's a lot to unravel. And when I talk about um, a healing journey, that's often decades for many people. Mm-hmm. You start at, at this point and it just keeps going and it does leave a scar on our life and it's not about getting rid of that scar. It's about managing our life around the scar that abuse leaves for us, isn't it, Denise? Yeah, and I kind of think of it as a residue that's there. So yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's there and it, sometimes you'll be hooked into that again. Something will trigger you, will remind you, will put, put you back into the past. But as you're going through your healing journey, you're building up your resilience. You're building up your tools and being uh, more confident in your ability to handle situations that might take you back or remind you, whether it's seeing someone yeah. that looks like your abuser, whatever it is. And so healing, people talk about two steps forward, one step back. You never lose what you've done. You know, you always are moving forward. And I like to think of it as kind of more of a spiral that you might have to revisit things or have things come up again. But again, each time you're further along in your healing journey, you're more capable of handling those. They take less effort. They impact you less. They take less time to deal with. And so I feel like there's always going to be some part of me that has yes. like a residue, but I can come so much further along to get where that is not ruling and controlling my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, Denise, I wanted to, one of the um, things in your book is that conversation around incest and the definition of incest. Um, can you tell our audience about that? It's Try not a word I- that we hear often in media. So it's important we touch on it today. Sure, absolutely. So I actually offer the definition of incest from the survivors of Incest Anonymous. It was really impactful when I heard it. So it Mm -hmm. is, as most people think, a family member, but they also include extended family members. So these would be people who are friends or coaches or uh, clergy that are known by your family, maybe part of your family circle, your broader family circle, but there's somebody there who has a certain level of trust from your family because of that relationship, and they break that trust and abuse the child. Yeah. Um, The other thing that we commonly talk about when talking about sexual abuse is triggers. What's your definition of trigger, Denise, and and what were some of your triggers, if, if you feel comfortable sharing that with the audience? 
Sure. Triggers for me are, are things that remind you of the past and can take you back actually into the past. So it could be uh, something like I mentioned before, you, you see someone who looks like your abuser. For me, it was a couple of things. One was I was abused at my grandparents' house on the lake. Uh, over the summer, all the cousins would, you know, go there. And it was almost idyllic in the sense there was swimming and boating and fishing and skiing, all that great stuff. But you know, on the side, there was also the abuse. And it would happen in his workshop, which was in the basement in a real tiny, dark space full of all of his tools. And so small spaces where I feel trapped and I can't get out, uh, that's a trigger for me. It takes me right back. And then I mentioned before that sometimes body memories were um, where I'm touching a certain way or in a certain place, I would get triggered. And again, that means I got thrown back and would be feeling like it was my grandfather that was touching me instead of the person I was with. Denise, were any of the other cousins abused? Do you know? I did learn that my older cousin was abused. She was about 10 years older than me. And so we actually had started some conversations around that. I don't know how it got brought up, but somehow it was revealed. And she was a a bit of a mentor to me along the way. And when it first happened with me, she was maybe, you know, beginning of high school. But she later told me she knew what she said. I knew grandfather had gotten to you because your personality changed. But she wasn't in a position to say anything. She was dealing with her own demons. She was a young kid, too. So, you know, it it was heartbreaking to think that somebody recognized what was going on, but they just couldn't help me. Yeah, yeah. And and that's often the way with with children. Um, And they might not be able to put the words around what they know or think is going on, but but they know. They're just... Mm -hmm. We've got to remember as adults that children are so vulnerable, that they're so powerless within our society when they're surrounded by adults who may be their fathers, uncles, grandfathers, that it's a very brave child that actually is able to disclose what's happening to them in a way that will get them help. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the importance of talking about abuse and that's not to say that you need to come out in 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 public and talk as you and I are talking today it can be very individual private even anonymous but it's so important isn't it Denise it's the words that you put on what happened to you and telling them or writing them down for someone else is very much part of every single abuse survivor that I've ever talked to. And I'm guessing that it was no different for you, Denise? Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying, that you don't have to share it with the world. You can make the choice of who you share it with. And as you said, you can journal about it. You can talk to a therapist. I really encourage people to find a therapist, particularly one that is trained in trauma and abuse uh, survivors. Uh, we have that ability now, and with telemedicine, we're able yeah. to reach out and find folks. But it was really critical for me to process 
because you're taking something that is nonverbal in a way, like you've described for children, they can't verbalize necessarily what they've experienced. And for us to transform that into verbalization and to be able to express whatever we were feeling and to write down how angry you were and all the different emotions, Mm -hmm. because we just felt we had to kind of keep that contained in some fashion or else it might explode on us. To be able to write out exactly what we're feeling from fear to shame to to hating our bodies to being angry at this person, to get all that out. Because a wound that is not gently but carefully examined and allowed to heal, it festers. If you're not addressing it, it festers. And it can impact a doubt totally change your life and control your life. And it may not even be at a conscious level. So writing it out, talking to a therapist, talking to a friend, going to a group and being amongst like individuals who have been through this experience, it is so empowering because it starts to remove the shame. It starts to remove the feeling that you were at fault and you can start letting go of those really heavy burdens and start moving forward. So it's a gateway to shift from being in the past to being in the present. Denise, shame is one of the main emotions associated with abuse and one of the things that is hardest to deal with. Um, And often we don't label it as shame, but it's that horrible, deep, dark feeling that somehow... Uh, you're responsible for what happened to you and your what will people think and and it it it's a horrible emotion to work through and one of the most important reasons in um seeking to go through therapy or talk to someone is to rid yourself of those feelings of shame because they ultimately ultimately i believe that shame has a connection to your physical body and it makes you sick in the long term if you don't have healing from those feelings of shame it will make you ill it manifests as autoimmune disease heart attacks a whole range of things so what we're talking about here for anyone who's listening and who may know that they are a survivor and who hasn't had um, the opportunity to talk to someone about it, both Denise and I would absolutely encourage you today to start that journey and just talk to someone. Even if it's a phone call to one of the multitude of counselling services or help services that are available across Australia, across the US, across the UK, they're available anywhere in the world. And you can do that and just give yourself that one phone call and then you that, that's all you have to do just one step at a time denise i don't know about you but i found that breaking things down and making sure that it was just one step at a time um and breathing reminding myself in those moments of intense pain and shame and horribleness that all i had to do for the next five minutes was just breathe in and breathe out, which leads me to the impact of yoga, uh, yo- yoga <laughs> and meditation on the healing process for trauma. Because I know it had many, many people that I talked to 
it has a powerful impact on healing um, and rewiring your brain. So what was it about yoga and meditation that helped you the most, Denise? I think that for yoga, it was, as I described before, a way to learn to be present in my body. I had learned to treat my body as a machine, that I would just push it as far as I could, and especially if I was staying up late studying or neglecting it and not knowing anything about self-care, not knowing how to be present in my body, to be with my body, and how to build it up in strength and flexibility and, and resilience in a healthy way. And it was through yoga that I started to learn that and trust my body, that it, it wasn't the thing that betrayed me. It was something that I actually wanted to be connected with in my life. And it was scary at first to start yoga. Let me tell you, it wasn't okay. just like all unicorns and daisies, <laughs> you know, because I went and, and I had to work with the male teacher. That was where the beginning classes were. And I had a really good feeling about the yoga studio. When I went in, something intuitively said, this is a safe place. And after taking a couple of classes, I went ahead and had a conversation in private with the instructor to let him know what was going on, saying, there's some poses that make me very uncomfortable. I feel very exposed. Uh And unfortunately, it happens to many times when you talk to people. He actually had his sister who was abused. He totally understood He said, okay, let's find alternatives. I won't, you know, touch you in any way or or adjust you in any way, which was part of this particular yoga practice that they would do in a healthy, normal way. And he's like, okay, we'll agree that I will not make a big deal out of you doing something different, which I was really nervous about standing out, right? Mm. And so Mm. I didn't do the poses that were intimidating for a while until I worked myself into a point where I thought, okay, I'm comfortable doing them. I had his support. I knew he understood. There was this environment where I felt safe to explore my body and connect with my body and trust my body. And it was transformational for my body experience. But meditation came in for me because I needed some work on my mind experience. So I had all these messages from my grandfather that intuitively I picked up on and what he taught me was a worldview where it the world's a scary place and people who care about you can hurt you. That's what he taught me. Yes. That's what I learned. And when I just totally into the very most basic parts of my brain accepted and all of the feelings of shame and worthlessness. And I was unlovable that it was happening to me because I deserved it. It was my fault you know, I heard that voice still happening in the back of my head and meditation was helpful because I could learn to let go of that, be present. And like you said, just focus on the breathing. And in response to that voice of my grandfather, I had developed a perfectionist type A personality to the extreme. And so there was this perfectionist voice who was supposed to help me, but ended up telling me how I was never perfect. I was always not meeting expectations. So I had one voice for the past and one voice for my, you know, current situation, both telling me bad things and meditation. I started to peel those away to learn that those were not true, authentic voices and to find this quiet space where I could learn to connect with my true self again. I um I have to agree with you. The power of yoga, um, and for me, uh, meditation is is part of my everyday life. But it actually took the longest 
to tap in to meditation and get used to doing it as part of my daily practice because meditation uh, quiets your brain and quiets those voices that are always there telling you how flawed you are um, and in particularly for trauma and childhood sexual abuse survivors, meditation is incredibly important and a, a useful tool in helping to, as you said, strip back and examine those things that your brain says to you about not being good enough and the world being a scary place. Uh, all of those things that are set in your childhood brain, you actually have to work on reversing those. I'm not sure that people realise or understand the long-term impact of those negative voices over the course of your life. So if you don't ever seek to have healing or um, rewiring of your brain around those negative uh, conversations, you don't get to see what life could be like or live to your fullest. And you deprive not only yourself, but you deprive the world of the awesomeness and uniqueness that is you. Yeah? Yeah. Um, Denise, you also, as part of your healing, went into the creative arts. And I'd love to for you to explore that with the audience and tell us what it meant and how you got into it and how it helped. Sure. So I mentioned before I was always a creative kid writing poems and stories. They were never about the abuse. They were just fun things that I would do. And that was an outlet for me, my creativity. And so that kind of got damped down when I went into this mode in high school of be a student, not only a student, Right. But then with the yoga and the writing, the poetry, I started finding ways to express myself. And my dad sent me a camera, one of his old cameras, and I started playing around mm-hmm. with that. And that got me outside. That got me into nature. And with the camera, you can get to a place where you're, you, you're not really thinking of all these thoughts anymore. You're being present. It's like a tool of getting you into contemplative space. And being able to be present because you're focused on what you're taking a picture of and exploring a space and trying to find the next picture. And that really gave me some confidence because there was something between me and the world. And it was almost yeah. felt like a little bit of a protection. But at the same time, it was pulling out that inner child again, that creative spirit who wanted to be curious and explore. So it was really helpful for me to have that camera and be able to go and connect with all these beautiful things because that started to fill me with the experience of beauty. And I love to explore new ways of doing art. I do acrylic artwork and I do um, hand printing. I'll just take a class, not expecting to become an expert artist in it, but just because it's fun. Let me try this party pottery class. Let me try this glass making class, you know, whatever it is, because I think that we lose our childhood so quickly and we're not allowed we to did. play, to explore, to create from that space of just pure energy. And being able to do those things as an adult allows you to have kind of a piece of your childhood that you lost. Yes, yes. Because that's, that's what happens, Denise. Part of your childhood, that beautiful, imaginative, carefree childhood is taken from you. And you can rediscover it as an adult. 
Um, I know for me, a friend gave me an, an adult colouring book um, and some, some wonderful uh, professional uh, pencils. And for me, that was, that was really helpful. The process of concentrating on the colours and getting the colours in the right spots, and that is really helpful. Um, and to explain it in a way that your brain is given a break, I guess you could say. It's given a break from the negativity and you're focused on something that's quite different and it gives you um, a good feeling when you've completed that particular drawing and it, it, it incorporates elements of your childhood self that you've lost. Mm. Colouring is, is very childlike. Um, lots of adults, though, have discovered how therapeutic it is. Mm. Um, and, yes, I'm a bit like you, Denise. I like to explore different – I'm not an artist, but I like to explore those different things and, and find out, you know, how to do them, what they incorporate, et cetera, et cetera. Very helpful um, in combination with any of the other things that we've talked about today. Very good for healing and getting you back on track and living that wonderful life. Some of the other things that you tried included exercise, nature and giving. Can you tell us about those, Denise? Sure. I've always been physical even if I was treating my body as a machine I was into sports and a lot of that was because I I played team sports and there was a lot of positive energy to be able to be around other girls that were tomboys or sporty or enjoyed being competitive so it was very empowering because in that space I could be the person that was strong I could be the person that was successful in I had sort of autonomy over my own body and what I was doing with it and being there with a, a, a number of other people like me. And so that continued on into my adulthood where I would do various club sports and things just because I enjoyed the physicality of it and using my body in a positive way, challenging my body. Now, people that could be running, it could be walking, it could be Um, doing body movement, skating, you know, whatever it is that you find that you enjoy and works for your body safely and healthily. I think it's good to move your body that we were made to be moving and using our bodies. And the more that we can do that, the healthier I think that we're going to be on all levels, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally. So to me, that's a very important piece that I continue to do. And I mentioned being out in nature with the photography. To me, that is healing so healing and more and more studies are out there about how powerful nature is for healing us and that we are suffering because we're disconnected from nature in our daily lives. And just to go out and be where the birds are singing and the breeze is blowing, the sun shine. I love being in arboretums and gardens where you can be really close Mm -hmm. to nature. And it's something primal that we need. All of us really need but it's, it's, I think, very healing for survivors to have that experience as well. And so that was something that I found was really important for me. And I can tell when I haven't been out in nature enough, I feel it. I can tell in my body how I am emotionally that I, I need to go out and just take a walk at least, if not go yeah. do something more extensive. And then with giving, to me, my life in my childhood was about taking things were taken from me mm-hmm. over and over yes. again. 
And I wanted to learn how to give and make that part of my worldview, that part of what I do, what I practice is I do service with my church. I donate money to organizations that I think are important for helping people and animals because animals are important to me. So I find ways and it doesn't have to be much. You know, I I give what I can and I whether it's time or money. But to me, that's important to open up my heart and make me more accessible to connecting with people and things that are important to me that I support them in whatever way I can. So it changes the world from a place where you are out of control and people are taking from you to a place where you are being generous and connecting and giving of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Just circling back to the animal thing, um, uh, part of the the most amount of healing I did was moving to our property and getting goats and llamas. Um, <laughs> the world is a better place with goats in it because they just love you no matter what. They brighten your day. They make you laugh. So that animal nature connection is incredibly important. But you don't have to own a farm to uh have animals there's there's actually across australia and i'm sure across america as well there are a lot of therapists who use um animals as part of their therapy their therapy so equine therapy with Mm -hmm. horses um locally we have llama therapy with Mm -hmm. with llamas um so for anyone who is processing their trauma or about to process the trauma being with animals and out in nature is very helpful for that healing process. Yeah, um, I think you, either now, you have a pet, if you can afford that, if it works for you, yes. or if you need to, you could volunteer at an animal shelter or or places yes. like you mentioned that do animal therapy. You can go and support that and get support for yourself. So it's incredible. This unconditional love, they don't ask for yes. anything. They ask for so minimal thing and they give so much to us so yeah it's it's fantastic it is it is um denise did you ever get to confront your grandfather about what he'd done yeah i never did because i as i mentioned before i wasn't in a place to be old enough to process everything and he died before i ever had to make that decision and thinking about it is actually kind of scary. I, t- I described how yes. intimidating he was. So yes. in my book, I talk about confrontation. I mentioned the fact that, I, you know, given my circumstances, I never had a, to make that decision. And I ask people questions about whether it's going to be right for them. What are they hoping to get out of this confrontation? Um, what if, you know, you're denied? There's a lot of questions I ask to help people Look at that. I don't think that doing a confrontation with your abuser to them is necessary for your healing. I think doing a confrontation for yourself internally about the abuse that happened to you is what is healing. But that's a personal point. You mentioned everybody's healing is different. And there's there's ways of doing that. So you can write um, a letter to your abuser and then burn it Mm -hmm. or float it down the stream or there's lots of little practices that you can uh, confront your abuser without actually physically and verbally having that confrontation, all part of a healing process for many people. Um, One of the things that is hardest 
for victims of sexual abuse, um, particularly childhood sexual abuse, is that conversation around forgiveness and forgiving yourself. It's a huge part of the healing. How did that go for you, Denise? Yeah, I, I have a chapter of forgiveness in my book. And when people see that word, they're like, what? Forgive my abuser? I'm like, no, I, that's your choice to, to think about whether you're going to do that or not. But what I focus on, as you mentioned, is forgiving yourself. And that was really hard for me because I had totally bought into the shame, totally bought into it, that it was my fault. And mm-hmm. it took a very long time and a lot of these practices before I started to believe that it wasn't my fault. That I could, it was not your fault. Not my fault. And let's make sure everyone hears that. It's not your fault. It is not your fault. And yeah. I t- had a hard time believing that for a long time. And I have this imagery on my book where there's a ball and chain that's broken open yes. and a rose growing up through that. And the rose to mm-hmm. me is a red rose, but it's about love for myself. And this beautiful rose with this beautiful perfume, that represents my inner beauty that I've rediscovered. And of course, mm-hmm. the rose has thorns because we want good yeah. boundaries. But that imagery, I literally had this image of this ball and chain is keeping me in this space where I was miserable and full of shame. And at one day, a light bulb it's went off. a good off. description. <laughs> yeah. and, and a light bulb went off one day when I was like, I could break that open. I could break that open and let that go. I could take the energy that I'm putting into blocking that or fighting that or living in that space, let that go and turn that energy and focus it on me and healing. And I think it was at that point I finally made the decision to forgive myself and to try to move on from it. Yeah, yeah. Denise, what do you think was the hardest part of your healing journey? I think getting over the shame really was the hardest part because it was so ingrained and I just hated myself. I I would speak out negatively about myself in front of my friends. That's how bad it was. I would put myself down and no matter what I did, I never thought I was good enough. I could get straight A's and I could do all these fabulous things. No, that, that didn't prove to me that I was a worthy person, that I was a good person. And to overcome that took quite a while. But that was something that absolutely had to let go of in order to be able to heal. Yeah, yeah. Um, Denise, when you decided to write and sort of go out publicly with your story, um, how did you manage that conversation with your family? So I started writing my book back in 2017, and it was yeah. very hard to write. Um, yes. I couldn't just sit down and just start at the beginning chapter and work my way through. I have written novels, award-winning novels, and that's yes. what I did. You just sit down and you write yes. your way through. And so this one was very hard to write, and it took me a number of years to do it. And I told my sister fairly early on, she already knew about the abuse. And I told her I was writing this book and why I was writing it. Of course, my husband had been waiting for years <laughs> for me to start writing. It was totally supportive. So husbands. Yeah, that's right. Totally supportive. Um, but I didn't tell my parents initially because I, one is I wanted to tell them in person. And two, I didn't want to bring it up if I wasn't going to make it to the end. I really yes. didn't want to bring 
the possibility of this going public if it wasn't going to happen. And so um, during COVID, I knew that it was going to happen. It was I was going to get it published. And so I wanted to meet with my parents and I had scheduled a flight down to see them in the spring right around when COVID hit. So I couldn't go fly. I said, well, I've got to edit the book. Let me edit the book first, you know, and work with the editor. So I kept putting that in-person visit off. And finally, it was close. I was like, okay, I'm going to publish it. I'm going to publish it in April, which is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, Awareness Month. I want to publish it then. And in the meantime, I had gotten an opportunity to write three different blogs on Psychology Today's blog about how you deal with COVID overwhelm as a survivor and techniques to do that. And I had shared those with my parents because they knew about the abuse for several years. I shared those with my parents because, of course, you're proud and excited. My mom actually wrote me back saying, this has been helpful for me. These ideas about how to deal with overwhelm are really helpful. So there was this set of of articles out there where I had shared them with my parents. They saw the value Mm -hmm. of helping people. And I thought, let me use that as a starting point to introduce my book. So I called them up and I said, well, you know, I've been writing these articles. I've actually written a book that does the same thing, trying to help Mm -hmm. people using my story. Yeah. And they were thrilled to hear that. They were so excited for me to be able to do that. So proud and just so amazed that I would do that, that it was actually a very good conversation around that. And they had no fear of me sharing my story. They were like, do it, get it out there and help people. So it was sort of an evolved process and mm-hmm. the result was just fantastic. That's wonderful to hear um, that you had their support because uh, in a lot of instances when you're writing about sexual abuse and, and childhood sexual abuse, there are varying responses from family and sometimes they're not always good and supportive and they're not understanding of what your ultimate aim is. And when you write a book about such deeply vulnerable topics, your only aim is ever to help people heal because usually by the time you've written a book, you've been through a whole series of healing yourself and you just want other people to know what it's like to live from a healed perspective versus hanging on to that trauma of whatever happened to you. Um, Denise, we're down to our last three minutes. What I would like for you to tell the listeners um, what you'd like them to know specifically about your book and where they can get it. Sure. So my book is called Thriving After Sexual Abuse, Break Your Bondage to the Past and Live the Life You Love. And it can be found in all the major platforms. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Google Play, Apple. And I have a website, thrivingaftersexualabusebook.com. And you can find out more about me. All the links to where you can purchase the book are there. I have all kinds of things resource-wise there for folks as well. 
I was going to say, don't forget to check the resources portion on Denise's website. Really good, helpful stuff. For those of you listening live online, Payo has the links to Denise, the book, um, all of Denise's social um, media so that you can connect with her on social media. Um, and if you're interested in talking more to Denise, her email is there as well. It's info at denisebosartbooks.com. Now, for those of you listening that may um, have experienced trauma in childhood and are thinking about what to do first, Denise, what's your number one suggestion? For those listening today who may have thought, oh, gosh, it's probably about time I did something about this horrible way that I feel and this life that I'm living that's just not as I would like it to be, what's the first thing you would suggest? Well, I have to say buy my book, of course, but in all seriousness, <laughs> in all seriousness, what I would really suggest is finding a therapist, a trained therapist to help you. They're invaluable to help you work through things as you go along. I could not have gotten into my healing journey and made it as far as I have without that. So please look into that resource. And Denise, people often think that like I had a reluctance decades ago to talk to a therapist but it really an external person who's not part of your story has a wonderful ability to see things from another side that helps you shift your brain and your way of thinking so professional therapists counselors talk therapy any of those things will help very much in the initial stages Um, Lovely listeners, we are completely out of time again. Denise, it's been a real privilege having you on the show today and talking so openly. I encourage everyone to jump out and buy Thriving After Sexual Abuse. The way that Denise has written in a four-part series is really incredibly helpful. There's lots of resources and information in there that will help you start your healing journey. And again, from both Denise and I, our only reason for continuing to talk and be so active talking about these subjects is that we want humanity healed and living their best life. A thriving humanity is what we want in the next decade. I want a different humanity for my grandson to grow up in where we have open, honest conversations and where it's harder for perpetrators to get away with their abuse because people are educated, understanding and accepting and there is plenty of support for those that go through such terrible events. Denise Bosart, thank you so much for being on Radio Tony today. Lovely listeners, we will be back next week with another show. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Bye for now, everyone.